Grit and Grace was born out of my love for humans and my fascination with them. You know, that mystery that lies between resiliency and fragility, between victim and victor, and between surviving and thriving. I wanted to create a space where vulnerability and authenticity was celebrated and respected. We all have a story, and here between the grit and grace, it is told. Then we're just going to go into our conversation. Go ahead, just who I am, and then you Okay. Go. So I'm so excited to have Tom Barker as my very first guest on Grit and Grace. And this is extra special for me because I've known Tom for a few years uh, throughout our community, and we've had uh, a, a beautiful relationship. But as we grew... Um, it just it just blossomed in, into more. Tom is more family to me than than uh, working with me, so it was no brainer for me to have him on with me and and share really about his grit and grace. And as I mentioned, like this is a really vulnerable, respected spot, and I take a lot of faith and a lot of love with me when I have these conversations, and I hope for people that are listening to us today are going to feel that with you as well, Tom. I hope so. <laughs> One can hope. <laughs> I, I'm sure they will. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, with Grit and Grace, when it, when it uh, came into the evolution, you were a big part of that for me, and you kind of gave me those, that push to go mm-hmm. forward, and I really, truly appreciate you for that. Even though I probably put my heels <laughs> in the sand a little bit, more times than not. Yeah. Uh, and kept changing the uh, the release date on the interviews. Uh, but with that, I really wanted to talk about a question I always have, is what comes first, the grit or the grace? <laughs> right? Oh, um, yeah. Well, I don't actually know if there's a direct answer to that, at least for me. Um, I don't know. You know... I think I have to say the grit would come first. I think that seems to be the general answer on this, but because um, I don't feel like you can get to grace without going through the grit because you wouldn't know what grace is. So that's kind of the way that I saw it or do continue to see it. But I would say grit. For sure, grit, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And for me too, right? Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of grit. And and I, I'll be honest, I think I still am chasing grace. I'm mm-hmm. still trying to get there. Some days I do better than others. <laughs> but for you, you know, if, if we could just sit in a space together today, and I'd love for you to share about some real grit that you've had in your life, like mm-hmm. whether it's an experience or situation or, you know, and again, nothing's structured in this. And that's why I love yeah. the way we're doing it this way, because I want to just show you to the world. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you for having me. Uh, I love this. I love being your first official guest. <laughs> it feels like it's full circle for us because we, you had this concept and we planned it and we did all of these other things and then we have spent so much time on this. <laughs> so I, it's the full circle for me to be here. But um, yeah, you want to talk about the grit. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, there's been some shit in the world for me. Um Starting, oh, I don't even know where to start. 
I would start with my move to Canada. Let's go back to there. Okay, love it. So 2008, my parents moved my family to Canada. And uh, of course, you knew my brother before you knew me. <laughs> um, and so when we moved to Canada, we were given really short notice. It was just like pack and go uh, at that point. So my dad was coming for Calgary police and all of the other things. So we packed up, we left for Canada. We got here 2008 and then... Once it got into, I went into grade nine here. So I left at the end of grade seven in England, started at the start of grade nine. So effectively, I missed a whole year of education, which is okay. And that's a whole other thing. But um, started in there. And then when I got into grade 10, I would say, into, I'll just say HTA. So if someone's listening, they don't know what it is. But when I went to HTA into grade 10, um, I started to go through this like weird thing of, of you kind of don't feel like the other kids, like everyone's saying, Oh, like, where's your girlfriend? Or like, what are you doing? Like where she likes you or this, that, and the other. And so I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) Like, I just don't like girls. And you kind of go through this, um, kind of brain space where you're just like, okay, well I don't fit in there. And then I don't fit in there. But then I don't actually see another place where you actually do fit in. So you're just kind of in this like um, purgatory almost. Wow. Um, because you're kind of like, you're just, it's, it's like you're floating. You just float through your days until you find the planet that you're supposed to drop onto. But it's like going on like through the universe for so long and to a point where you're just like, I don't know where my planet is. Any, I don't even know if my planet exists anymore. So... And of course, that planet for me was gay. So planet gay. <laughs> Great planet. So, yeah, it's the best planet, honestly. Uh, and it turns out it wasn't even a planet. It was a rainbow. So there we go. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you kind of go through this little thing where you don't really know where you're supposed to fit. And so because of that, you get into like the misfit era of my life, where which I had. And we, we, I would go and sit under tunnels and smoke and drink and (laughs) at all hours of the night and do all of that. And, um, what I found through that was that I still hadn't found my people. So I was still doing all the like garbage stuff of going and smoking and being a misfit in town and still having actually nowhere that I even belonged to. So at this point in grade 10, so I was 15 at this point, um, I had kind of been going through this like cycle of um, uh, almost uh, like I don't have anywhere to belong here. So it doesn't matter if I'm here or not. So I could just go it off myself and I'll be fine. So you kind of get to that spot where every day you're just like, oh, maybe it's one thing could go wrong today and I'm going to go home and end it all. And it's a really unfortunate place to be. But I spent a lot of time there um, because that in that place was my planet in that respect. Cause I was like, this is the place I feel the most comfortable is in sadness. And I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to end it. Cause that's, cause I belong right here. So I hope does that kind of make sense? Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, um, there was some moments where I was kind of Googling, like, how do you end your life? As I think a lot of people do when they're in that space. Um, so I considered it. I guess you haven't didn't seen my workshop that I did a couple of weeks ago. So this all goes over all this in my workshop. But um, you kind of get to, yeah. At this point, I was just gonna, I was just gonna put it out, 
Because I was like, not only had I moved away from all of my friends, I had been here for probably two years at this point. So you can, I kind of hadn't gotten into this like deep ingrained friendships with people yet. It was all very surface still. Right. Um, and so at that point I was like, I'm just gonna, just gonna end it. So I actually wrote in these journals that my parents had given us to document our time through moving to Canada. Um, since they've gone missing, I don't know where they are now, which is probably for a good reason, <laughs> but, uh, the, so in these journals, um, I had written like, just like today's the day or like, I'm going to, I'm going to end it. I'm going to end my life today. And some of these, which I think there's a reason that they're gone because of the things that were in them. Right. But, uh, yeah. So that was the biggest kind of form of grit that was kind of in my life. And when I started to get into, actually when I met Michaela in grade 11, so that's my best friend. Um, I met Michaela grade 11 she was in grade 10 and she was the first person that had kind of like (laughs) pushed her way all the way into my life um first friend to do so um she was the one that kind of pulled me sort of out of that downward swing um because no friend had ever been like that with me before so and of course still I was struggling with my sexuality at this point so that was a whole kind of different thing that was happening while I was going through these thoughts of just ending my life and putting it out. Um, so I met Michaela and then she pulled me out of that. So that was one thing kind of checked off the list. I was like, okay, hey, I can put that away. I'm feeling a lot better now. And so in a lot of ways I do credit her for that. Um, and then I should also end out that little segment by saying that uh, that's not it doesn't just end, you know this better than anybody, those kind of thoughts and those things that you go through, they don't just end, they do take a lot of time to work out of, but I just continually say, like, kind of thank you to the universe for giving me all the tools and the things to get out of that and to get to kind of the point that I'm at today. Um, and I think I'd be remiss too if I said that, if I didn't say that, um, a lot of people don't get that chance. So if you're out there listening, uh, I was... Thankfully, just strong enough, but a lot of people aren't. So they need that help and those supports. Um, so then you get into the other side of the other side of the gritty beach, I'll call it. Right. Um, so, so when I was coming out or going through the coming out process, um, there's no which one way to do it. You can't just Google it <laughs> and figure it out because all it says is like, we'll just do it. Okay, cool. That's like not that simple to just do it, but... Um, so when I was coming, kind of going through that coming out process, I was actually dating a girl by this point, and I ended up being with her for three years. Wow. Um, and to this day, she's still one of my closest friends. But um, we were dating, and we were really, like, really dating each other. We were in love with each other. And I still, I say that kind of a lot now as a bit of a side note, that a lot of people will say, how could you not know when you're dating a girl? <laughs> and the basic answer to that is that, you, just because you you are a woman, for say, uh, person, well, you are, but <laughs> doesn't mean that I love you any less than I love my partner or the person that I'm with. Right. It's just kind of allotting and discovering what parts of love are meant for who, right? So, I love that, Tom. Yeah, and so that's, I guess, one of the biggest things when a lot of people say to me um, that kind of what I said, like, how could you not know? I did know, but I also didn't know what went where and with who. So 
<laughs> I was coming out and I was going through a, still a lot of these like um, weird thoughts of like, well, am I actually gay or like, is this just a phase and are like, is it, it's going to pass. Like, don't just get it out of your system and be done with it and whatever else. So, um, the gods are so much to work through. I'm like going through all <laughs> this mental, the last 12 years and mental thing. Um, and so, what actually happened was Michaela, I was in her kitchen, um, and I just told her and her mom that I was gay. And to be fair, in that moment, I wasn't actually sure if I was or not. I just thought that's what I needed to do. And I thought I would feel better and I would just go off and live this happy little life, which was not the case. Um, uh, her, her mom and her were so ridiculously supportive and amazing and they were like, you're always welcome in this house and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of a bit of a side note. Um, same happened with my other best friend, Molly, told her. She was completely supportive and amazing with it. Um, and so we, I kind of did came out for them or with them. And then we went further down the line of me coming out. And I kind of stopped telling people because I was like, I'm happy in my bubble. These are my people that know. And that's it. But at the end, what I found is at the end of the day, every bubble has to pop at some point and whether you wanted to or not. So, um, we were in Catholic school. So I, so consistently the way that I dress, acted, talked, like it is no, if you see me on, it is no secret that I am flaming. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and we love you for it. Yeah. Right. Like it's, and it's all these things that, that people love me for now, but they, are things that in high school specifically I was bullied for. Um, and I wasn't even out at that point. People just were like, what a faggot. And they wouldn't, they would not even know that there was any sort of anything going on behind those kind of curtains. Um, which brings me to Jordan, who is another one of my best friends. And I'm getting somewhere with all of these friends. So, um, so Jordan was open and out all through high school. So I would watch him get beaten and like, the shit that Jordan went through in, in high school here and which was another big reason I didn't come out in high school. Cause I was like, I don't want to go through that. Like I, you watch someone get beaten up. You're going to jump in or are you going to stand over here? You're going to stand over here. Um, so Jordan got beaten and beaten and beaten and be in more ways than it was mentally, physically, verbally, all these things. Um, and so Jordan was the next person I told cause I was like, Jordan deserves to know. Like, he's going through all of this. Sure. You know, I I want him to have some support and whatever. Um, so I told Jordan, and of course, Jordan was like, bitch, I love you. Like, you are in, like, and we became the bestest of friends after that. Um, so slowly what happened, this is where I'm getting to all of this grit, is slowly what happened is I started to build this inner circle. Like, inadvertently, I didn't know I was doing that. But I was building this network of people, these three people who knew at this time, that were going to be, in in essence, my shield. They were my protectors, my my warrior people who were seeing that I was in a gritty place. I love all of the puns I can use with the word gritty. Um, I was in this kind of gritty place where I couldn't protect myself and I couldn't um, get through a lot of the things that I was going through um, with the pressure of the world coming in and still not finding the planet as I was kind of floating through here. So what they did essentially was became my rocket boosters and they became my shields and they became my people that were around me all the time. Um, 
And so at that point, I knew that I had transitioned out of that kind of grittier place. Um, but I still wasn't out of the woods yet. So when we hit the end of high school, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to come out. Like I'm going to do it. Um, but once you get to that point, the world is a much scarier place as you know, right? When you leave high school, uh, you're done with the bubble. (laughs) There's cause you, you don't just have the halls of the school anymore. You got the roadways and the pathways and the sideways and the rainbows and everywhere and the which ways, right? So I left high school and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to come out. I'm going to, it's going to happen. Um, and long story short, I was like, hell no, never doing it. Once I experienced the world, I was like, nope, not doing that because more people than just Jordan were getting beaten on. And at this point, it's when you start to hear of stories like Matthew Shepard mm-hmm. and those kind of people who get beaten and murdered for being gay. So it, it becomes away from the, uh, football field and you get into the streets right so a lot of kind of shit starts to happen there um and so i said screw it not happening not coming out and i lived that way for a long time for almost two years i was in the closet i would go to the gay bar by myself because i just was like i don't want anyone to know and even my friends that knew they didn't know exactly how i was feeling because even to this day i'm not a feeling person i don't like to talk about my feelings i don't like to kind of open that up. Now you have, <laughs> you do some shit to me <laughs> that makes me talk about my feelings. Um, but still, like I said, to this day, I don't really talk to my kind of circle about it. It's really you and Tam that I talk to about my feelings. Cause I know a lot of times you guys have gone through it or you're, you have a lot of help and advice and whatever. But so at this point I was like, not coming out, not happening. Uh, and then we went to a new year's party and I'll remember this Forever. It was New Year's Eve 2013. Jordan had just started doing drag. And I, I love drag. Huge fan of drag. I think we all are. Me too. Exactly. <laughs> so Jordan had just started doing drag. And I was like, I'll do it with you. I'll go to this party and drag with you for sure. Like, I want to support my friend because they were nervous and all that. So we got into our most amazing 1920s flapper girl baby drag. <laughs> Love for it. this party we put on dresses and wigs and it was just, it was the most amazing night um we actually got pulled over that night and the hilarity of two big boys in drag killed me it was so funny the cop had no idea what to do but uh we went to this party had a wonderful time pictures were taken it was all good and then the pictures surfaced online the next morning of me and jordan in drag at a party with a million people and so we then then this kind of shit storm started um, with me coming out, whereas I didn't, didn't necessarily come out of the closet. I was pushed. So, um, and you know a lot of the other shit with that, but I won't get into it. So, um, I, then it was kind of public knowledge and I had to uh, find a pathway through it because I had no idea where to even start. And I knew that my parents were sitting at home already knowing about it and I hadn't told them or done any of that. And so I was again in this place where I'm like, fuck, what am I going to, I hope I can swear on this podcast. You absolutely. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And then you get this like, like, you know, like the type of anxiety where you have to go deal with something, but you're just not quite ready to do it. Truly. 
Um, that's where I was at. And I was like shaking. I was like sitting in my car and I was like, I'm about to ruin my life. Like, you know what I mean? So long story short, I go home at midnight because I made sure I was busy every minute of that day so that I didn't have to go home while my parents were awake. And Murphy's Law, my parents were awake, very much awake when I got home. So I walked in the house and I was pissed at this point. I was pissed that the one thing that is supposed to be a journey of empowerment for me was no longer that. It was... I don't even know how to describe it. it. It wasn't something that I got to control anymore. The one thing that I'm supposed to control, I didn't get to. So I walked in the house. I went upstairs to my parents' room and I stood in the doorway and I said, yeah, I'm fucking gay. What about it? Which in hindsight was probably not the best way to handle that. <laughs> but I just was done. I was like, when does this fucking shit ever end? And the thing is like, I mean, number one, it doesn't. It, it will be like that forever. Um, but that was when my parents lost it. They were, A, not prepared for that. B, I went about it in the wrong way. C, they already knew and they found out in ways that they didn't want to find out through. Um, so there was just a lot of variables that added to the mess that we were in. So my dad left the house and my mom asked questions that I should will tell anybody should never ask someone when they come out. And I won't put it here just purely out of respect for my mom. But if anybody's listening and they want to know, they can message me or email me. Um, but yeah, so that kind of shit happened. And eventually we got to the other side of this like crazy night. Like my dad was gone for a long time. I slept in the bathtub that night cause I wasn't sure what was going to happen and you don't know. And of course, when you're looking at all these things of people getting murdered and beaten and it does happen where parents will murder kids for being gay and it does happen where people get kicked out. And so you never really know what's going to happen in that situation. Um, so that was it. We kind of got the next day came around and then we honestly just never talked about it again. And even to this day, we don't not talk about it but we certainly don't talk about it. So it's it's a really tricky situation to navigate um, because I respect them. I respect that they want to, that they are going to live their life and, and all of that. But living in their house where you can't like date people, have people over, like there's a lot of variables here. And I, of course I moved for a long time um, and came back. But now that I'm in my, what I call my evening 20s, <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that the yeah, evening. 20s. Yeah, my evening twenties. Um, it's it's a lot different, um, especially when you're someone like me who tries to advocate so highly for my community and tries to um, talk about it and facilitate conversation. I mean, you know, like in our workspace, just us, right? Um, it's tough. I'll put it there. So it's not an end. It the journey doesn't end anywhere. It's just about how you navigate it. Um, but that's that's a basic rundown on the grit. And I could get all the way into now and all of the other things. But that's a basic rundown of the sort of shit period of my life that kind of landed me here. Right. And, and you know, Tom, like even just you coming over from England, 
that's mm-hmm. facing diversity right there because you didn't fit because you had an accent, yep. right? Yeah. And I know with my husband coming from England and back and forth a few times, yeah. Uh, he he didn't fit anywhere. There was yeah. no sense of belonging. And we know as the social creatures we are, <laughs> we need to belong. We yeah. need to fit. Yeah. And even though you know in our tough times and when we've got our shields up and we're talking about. You know, I don't care what anybody thinks of yeah. me and all of those things. You know, uh, that's a defense mechanism that yeah. we, we put up. And I'll be the first to say, <laughs> I had that, <laughs> yeah. you know, stamped on my forehead for many years. Yeah. And and then when I got comfortable in my own skin and my own journey and understanding it was really my journey. Mm-hmm. And people were privileged to be part of it. Yeah. If I chose for them to be part of it. Yeah. So I just want to talk a little bit more about... Um, do you think with your mom and dad, uh, and I'm just speaking as a parent, yeah, that it really doesn't matter to them, and and I mean that in a respectful way mm-hmm. that they just love you because they love you, you're their kid, and how you what you do in your life is, yeah, I so I do think it's some of that. Like I, I do, I my parents like they love and adore their children, like me and my brother are their world. Everything they do is for us. But on the flip side of that, I think they really struggle with um, generational differences. Um, There's a huge kind of difference between them and us in the fact that they were ex-military. They were, or well, are, they are ex-military. They are um, child, children of the 60s. Um, they are, uh, I don't want to say they're optics driven people, but they certainly have been optics driven in their jobs. And obviously with my dad being police and federal and all the other things that he does. Um, and my mom working in the fields that she does optics is a huge part of their life. So it's how you look, how you act, how you talk. Um, which I think in part does play a lot into me and my personality and the way that I am. But, um, I still think they sort of see it as that, um, I don't know how to describe it. They still see, I'll, I'll put this in a general term more so over my parents because I do think my parents can separate this, but um, they still see it, they still see the AIDS epidemic as synonymous with the LGBTQ community. Um, so I will put it, <laughs> so my mom did ask me when I came out, um, have I had anal sex? And I was like, okay, first of all, <laughs> like, why does that even matter? Like, that's not a, there's no way that that should even be synonymous right. with the LGBTQ community because it's actually not as common as a lot of people think in any way. That's a whole nother conversation. But, um, it's, I think they're, they, they just struggle to separate everything and to look at it to kind of like we were talking about the other day, like zoom out and look at the picture. I think they struggle to do that, which is why they just, don't want to talk about it. Cause if we don't talk about it, then we don't have to dig and look and handle and kind of do all of that. Um, but I do think on the flip side of that, uh, they are trying. I, I mean, my mom very much gets very interested when I talk about the community and things that are happening. And, um, of course it's hard to miss that I'm on like a, any kind of pride board. Uh, there's any kind of pride, anything and I'm doing it. Right. So, um, it is hard to miss. So I think my mom is very much in tune with that. Uh, my dad, just not so much. Um, and that's okay. It's his thing. It's his 
whatever and my stuff is my whatever and our relationship is what it is and that's it so i i think you're right and i think there's a lot of other things factors that play into that as well for sure and i think also we can't forget that where we come from you know Mm -hmm. generationally Mm -hmm. uh the baggage that we we carry throughout our year throughout generations and then um really where you come from and and yeah. just speaking from you know i'm from uh, a rural area in alberta so my dad was a farmer yeah my mom was a nurse and we just had that mentality yeah. get her done pack the stuff down let's not talk about mm-hmm. it and mm-hmm. move on yep uh the, the saying actually in my home was cry to the cows come home it's not going to change anything <laughs> so i thought yeah. well i might as well stop crying yeah and and so for you coming from um, from a British heritage, yeah. And my husband coming from a British heritage, <laughs> too. That you know, yeah. that's a much more reserved culture, and yep. you know, um, uh, British folks are known for that. Oh, yeah. You know, like yeah. keep it within your walls and don't air your dirty laundry exactly and it. all of those things, right? Yep. And depending on what's perceived as dirty laundry, sometimes <laughs> it's everything. Yeah. So that kind of leads me to the next. Um, question for you in relation to shame mm-hmm. and shame even the word doesn't feel good like yeah. i don't know like even you know it hitting yeah. hitting my lips doesn't feel good yeah but i think it's really important to sit here for a little bit yeah with you and maybe the shame that you felt or were led to feel mm-hmm. um for, for various reasons through high school and then into can we go a little further back tom like can we go back into maybe when you were in elementary Mm -hmm. any of those things you know what was happening there okay so and maybe you did see my workshop because there's a whole part of my workshop about this um so when when i was in elementary school i was uh i had attachment issues like it was crazy. So if my mom wasn't going, you bet your ass neither was I. Like if I couldn't hang on to my mom's leg, there was no possible way I was going. Um, and I, I didn't want to be without my mom. I didn't want to be, and I, th- I think part of it also was that she didn't want to be without me. So I think there was a bit of a mutually unhealthy thing. But um, for me, like, I just, I didn't want to be without her. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to go to um, uh, um, any, like, extracurriculars. I didn't want to, I want to do anything. I just wanted to be with my mom all the time. To a point, like, where I would go and do what I had to do. So school, whatever else that I, like, absolutely needed to legally have be obliged to do. Um, and then I would go to her work. And I would just sit there. Like, just with, just like this. I would just sit there with her. And I think eventually she was like, oh, God, <laughs> this is a problem. And, um, to, I, you know, I I don't know why I was like that because I'm not like that now. Um, I Actually, I guess we'll get into a point why I'm not like that now. But um, it just, she, so she, I guess, found that it was a bit of an issue. And so she put me in theater school. And when this happened, I was, how old was I? Four. I must have been almost turning four. Um so this wasn't even actually in elementary school because I think in Canada you don't start elementary till you're five. Is that true? Kindergarten at five. Okay, so yeah. you start kindergarten at three. 
in England. Wow. So I was already in school. I was going Keener. into oh, British girl, but we also go to grade 13. So I'm like, why do I happen to be in school for the entirety of my life? Anyway. Um, <laughs> so the, so I was already in, in kindergarten by this point. Um, so then she put me in theater school and it was only three hours every Saturday, which now I'm like, Oh, amazing. Like what a great thing. But to me, that was eternity, Pam. Like that was, that was the rest of my life. Like you are abandoning me every Saturday and I have to do shit that like, I don't want to do. Like I want to sing. I don't want to dance. I don't want to do drama. Like, and if there's anything in my life, I can do drama now. So, um, (laughs) but yeah, like I, I, so I don't know maybe if that's sort of played into, um, the way that I sort of acted growing up because I definitely felt like I went from being the most attached person ever to then feeling like abandoned every week. And I, th- I know that now it sounds really stupid to feel that way, but those feelings in that moment were absolutely real for me. Um, and to some extent, sometimes I still get into that place where I'm like, people are leaving. What am I going to do? Like, maybe that's why I work so hard and like try to foster relationships with everybody because some other people are going to leave. So I have to replace those people with these people. And you know what I mean? Like, right. Um, that's a whole different. It is. A, I know. I know. I'm like, am I in therapy? <laughs> we could really dig into that. <laughs> no, yeah. I, no, that's not. Um, yeah. Like I, it's just, uh, I think that's where a lot of that sort of comes from. Um, but yeah, in elementary I was, and I was like that for the entirety of till grade six, pretty much like, um, see, and then my mom also works for the school, for the, a, a different school, but um, same hours. So it was always like, she picked me up, take me home, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then grade seven, she worked at the school I went to. So then it was easy for me to be like, hey, like I would go have lunch with my mom every day and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah. Um, so the shame part of like kind of all of it that we're getting to um, is that I think you feel when you are so close to someone and, and to be, I don't actually know why I was that close to my, like, of course she's my mom, but like, we're not very much the same people. We're not, um, we actually don't agree on a lot of things. We fight and we have conversation. We have a conversation a lot, actually, about a lot of different things, which is one of the things I really appreciate about her. But it's also one of those things where the shame comes from, how could she not know? Mm-hmm. She knows me so well. How could she not know? And then how could she act like that when she does find out? Like, that's my mom. Like, that's my person, you know? So um, there's a lot of shame that comes with that. And there's also a lot of shame about her finding out. I'm just like, I don't want her to love me less. I don't want her to, like, kick me out. I don't want her to not be in my life because of this. So there's a lot of shame kind of comes from every direction in this specific topic, um, at least for me. And I still sometimes get that like I get a bit of shame like like I I live really authentically and I there like if you don't know that I'm gay you're gonna find out by the time I'm done talking to you and um still there's still some times where I get that shame of telling people uh or talking about it or standing up for something um just because you're like I don't want to go through this mental thing again Mm. of like, are they going to leave? Are they going to love me? Are they not going to love me? Is it going to change how they feel about me? Like, so you still kind of get that a lot of the time. Um, I just find the biggest thing is managing it. Like, I manage it pretty well now. Um, but it's not an open and shut type of thing. I think shame follows a lot of people through their life. Um, 
but I don't think they manage it well. And, and because shame is really normal. Um, it's shitty, but it's really normal. A lot of people either get made to feel shameful or they make themselves feel shameful. And I think for me, I do not let anybody else make me feel shameful now. But that gives me enough room and enough playroom to manage my own. So I hope that kind of makes sense in that Absolutely. Whole, and, yeah. you know, and you just, you were going right down that road with me on, do we receive it from others? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's learned, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like we come here, these perfect little innocent angels from above, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Yeah. And, um, and we're just, uh, I'm going to use a word that's going to, you know, I don't hope it's not offensive, but mm-hmm. then we go through this, this continuous trauma, yeah. usually in our younger years, as we're learning about this thing called mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. and, and victimize sometimes. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think you'll, you'll agree. It doesn't mean that you need to be gay or mm-hmm. whoever you are. We're just at some points we, we tend to be continuously victimized until yeah. we decide, you know, and I'm going to throw in my own yeah. two bits on this. We decide that we're no longer going to be victims and we're going to be victors yeah. and, and we're going to start saying no mm-hmm. and start saying no to shame. Yeah. And the other side of shame, shame is, um, that internal dialogue that we have, yeah. right? And again, it's learned, and it, I think a lot of it's generational. We mm-hmm. get it from parents and grandparents mm-hmm. and siblings. Mm-hmm. And so learning to um, address it, you know, yeah. I'm a big believer. I even talk to the voices in my head, and I go, <laughs> I know you're here, and I hear your opinion. Yep. Thanks very much. Yep. But um, sometimes, you know, uh, my traditional saying is, fuck off, namaste. Yeah. <laughs> So sometimes I just have to say that to myself, right? Fuck off, namaste. And you have no value here. You Mm -hmm. know, you're not um, telling me the truth right now, right? So fast forward a little bit. Then when you came out, um, and this is something that I see uh, in your community. And because I'm in your community a lot. A lot of my dearest treasured friends are are in your community. Mm -hmm. That there's some shaming that happens there, and there's divide that happens there. And let's just stay there for a minute, Tom, and tell me, you know, what your experience is. And then, Mm. honestly, let's just talk some smack if we need to talk some smack, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, Okay, so, yeah, it's really prevalent in in our community. And I think this is, and especially with it being Pride Month, this is great to have this conversation because, um, I guess, at the end of... When this gets released, it won't be Pride Month. But um, as we record, this is Pride Month. So this is a conversation that's happening a lot right now in this community that um, the worst shamers, as far as this community goes, is the community itself. It's uh, it's so segregated inside this community. So it's the gays versus the lesbians versus the trans folk versus the... And I think that a lot of that is because that is where all of the shame, the di- di- divide, yeah, the, yeah, the divide, the trauma. I think that's it's the landing pad. It's where everybody's experiences through their life that they've worked on and fixed and done all of that. It all lands here, and I think that what what's happening is that the gays are like, "There's no way the lesbians could um, could re- relate to me." And then the lesbians are going, there's no way the bisexuals could relate to me. And when in fact, yes, we can all relate 
to each other in this specific community. We have all been through some things, some worse than others. Some have it worse. Some people get murdered. Some people um, get beaten. Some people, but then other people um, just go through essentially what I went through and that kind of internal thing where you have to work on it and come out the other side of it. But I think that they're failing to see the relatability with each other. And instead, they're just channeling all that anger and the sadness and everything that comes from their either childhood or where they sit um, through their life. It, they're all <laughs> putting it on each other. Mm-hmm. So we're all carrying each other's trauma and we all have no idea how to deal with it. Right. In a uh, word of our very good friends, therapists, um, we're carrying each other's backpacks. We're not putting each other's backpacks down. Right. Right. And so um, a lot of times now, even now we could go even further into it and say like um, that the gays specifically are, um, are handling uh, like body. The body is a very big conversation with gay men um, because it's uh, very much the big body isn't sexy. It's the chiseled, amazing, beautiful six pack oiled up man that I think a lot of people relate with the gay person or the gay man. Um, So that in itself is a problem because there is a lot of body shaming. There's a lot of uh, fat phobia. There's unrealistic expectations. There's um, lots of shit that I think people or especially the gay community um, sees as a goal when it's not like that is not to be chiseled and have a big physique. That's the only way you're going to find love. No, Right. That's the, that's the general consensus. And then I think also like lesbians have their own set of problems like that as well. um, Where you get into terms like butch, dyke, blah, 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 or lesbians trying to be men. Like there's just so much that they're, working through and I do yeah anyway but and I agree like you know things that I I've observed is you know he's too gay he's not gay yeah. enough yeah um you, exactly what you said you know yeah. she's um I, I don't know what the terminology is now but I'm going to probably date myself <laughs> you know lipstick lip, lipstick lesbian you versus totally. a dyke right yeah. yeah and neither neither term is particularly um no kind no, <laughs> like yeah. that, right yeah um so and and i don't know if it's just related to your community uh you know i can speak of you know i don't know if you call my community community but <laughs> whatever right yeah um that same sort of chiseled mm-hmm. you know the mm-hmm. the pretty girl all of those things yeah. and and then if you are the pretty girl and you do take care of yourself you're mm-hmm. shamed again because you've you've taken those measures you're being a whore right yeah exactly you're being a slut. right yeah um i can actually remember my dad uh when i was 15 years old i was coming up the staircase and i had black <laughs> eyeliner on and again d- dating myself and i had bleached my hair blonde blonde and and i had these tight jeans on that zipped all the way around <laughs> and my father turned to me and he said, are you, you're not going outside looking like that. He goes, you look like a whore. Yeah. And go down, wash your face, mm-hmm. put your hair back, put different blue jeans, put your Wranglers on. And, uh, you know, this is our name yeah. and you're, you're damning our name, which was quite ironic considering his oldest son was a trans, uh, gender, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, super understanding of my brother, yeah. but had problems with, 
yeah. with those of us that weren't, I guess, bucking the system in the family, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's not to say because he was transgender. It was just, there's always there's yeah. always somebody in the family. And <laughs> I actually ended up being the black sheep. So it yeah. all worked out in everybody's favor. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and I'm okay with that now, right? Yeah. right? It, it, for sure, it was a struggle, just, you know, similar to the struggles you went through. Yeah. So, you know, finding that place where maybe you can hand that baggage back and the shame isn't yours to hold. Mm-hmm. And then how, how are you finding now, Tom, as you grow through the years? How old are you now? 26, 27. 26. I'm about to turn 27. To, about to turn 27. Yeah. So um, how are you f- navigating through life now? Like, not... Beyond that, we we live in a small community. Mm -hmm. For anybody who's listening, uh, Tom and I live in a very small community Mm -hmm. that's rapidly growing, but it's still that small town, rural Mm -hmm. flair. What's new for you? What's new in the horizon? What's... Oh, I, oh, I mean, there's so much happening. I mean, you know about a lot of the things I do because I walk in here and tell you. Um, But I, you know... This this town and this province, I'll say this province especially, um, is is growing really rapidly. And as far as um, human acceptance, the human journey, the way that people are seeing each other and interacting with each other, um, the topic of sexuality, the topic of um, all of these what were once taboo, um, these things are now being talked about and they're now being um, handled appropriately as they should be. Um, so now my journey is quite a bit easier than it was. It's not over. It's not done. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't have hard days or anything like that. But what it does mean is that I'm kind of in a place, right? Because I put all the work in over the years uh, of managing the shame and um, kind of acknowledging that there was a little bit of trauma there, um, processing it, moving through it. Um, now my daily life is pretty friggin' good. I mean, it, it, it's pretty great. I... I'm very lucky and very blessed to be involved in so much pride stuff every month. Um, I just made a beer with, you know, our local brewery. I just, we're doing a crosswalk at the end of the month. Um, we're doing, uh, there's a, a tales of the town, um, thing. There's a variety show. I also just picked up a gig at the gay club. So there's so much happening for me that I really can only credit to my own, my work that I've put in over the years. Um, without the help of many other people there have been the select few you are one of them Michaela Jordan Molly um, those types of people Tamara there's uh, lots of things that are happening now that I can credit back to you guys but things are things are pretty good I there are like I said still days where I really struggle with stuff and I uh, especially when it comes to like dating and how I interact with other men um, and this, oh, this is a whole nother thing that I think we're going to need a whole nother <laughs> thing for, but it just, the way that I interact with men is very different than it used to be. Um, and I still, I do still struggle with that. That is, if anyone's listening, the daily struggle for me is interacting with men because you, you don't know your, your relationship with every individual guy, unless you've been friends with them for so long. Right. Um, my relationship with Steve is probably the best one that I have. Right. And that's oh. because Steve, <laughs> Steve doesn't give a shit like, you know, and, um, it's one of the best things, but it's one of his most amazing qualities. Um, but yeah, I still, still working through that. So there's really great things. And then there's other stuff that we're still working on. So, yeah. 
So, and I think, you know, if we go back to, uh, you know, and I want this to be a big takeaway for people who are listening today is that once you, you deal with your shit, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you agree or disagree with me, Tom, I think you discover that your, your shame really wasn't yours and you can kind of lay that down and mm-hmm. it was really never yours to begin with. You yeah. just picked it up. Yeah. Right. And that's the hardest thing is putting that down. And it's almost like Velcro. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, it just keeps yeah. sticking to you. And yeah. at the most unpredictable times. Yeah. And, you know, like now that you're, you're growing and moving forward and, and, uh, enjoying this life experience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and really, you know, I have to say, um, one of the things I love most about you is that you stand in your truth mm-hmm. and, that's super important to me. That's one of the values I hold dear yep. in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I want to associate myself with people who are authentic and stand in their truth right. and don't have to pretend to be somebody that they're not yeah. because they actually can look in the mirror and go, I'm okay. Yeah. You know, my, my goal is always to look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm okay. I yeah. love you. You're needed. Yeah. You need to be here. You have a purpose. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, Hey, right sometimes we get up in the morning and that's all that can come out of our mouth for you if you were to be able to um talk to your younger self (laughs) what would you say oh my gosh um i don't you know i so i'll (laughs) preface this if you've ever seen rupaul's drag race uh when they're about to decide to decide a winner RuPaul asks each of the queens what they would say to their younger self. So you're fulfilling my dream of being on Drag Race. So look at that. There we go. Um, <laughs> I, you know, if I got to talk to my younger self, I would say, um, fuck it up. Like, you know, I, <laughs> when there's so much shit that this little body is about to go through, that, um, I don't, I don't even know how to put this into words, what I would want my younger self to know. Um, the, the, the brain and the heart and the veins and the muscles and the bones are not going to be able to comprehend the weight of what you are about to go through. But they also are not going to be able to hold or comprehend the amount of blessings that are going to come to you post-trauma. So... Right. Yeah. And it's just the body is not meant to hold all of this stuff. And so fuck it up, put shit down, leave it alone. Like just glide and float because the planet is coming. The planet will come and you will find it and you will make a home there with the people that matter and everybody else who doesn't matter. Be gone. Right. It's I, that's kind of what I would say to my younger self is, is fuck it up. Go live your life. You only get one. And like I said, in my little workshop is like your, your physical body and your soul and your everything is the only one that is guaranteed to be at your funeral. Everything else that you do between now and then is what gives you purpose. And those people are the ones that are going to show whether they want to be there or not because you made such an impact on them that the only way they could fathom even saying goodbye to you is at a funeral. 
You know what I mean? So that should be the only way people say goodbye to you and the way that you foster your friendships and the people around you are, yeah, that's how you get people there. So I love that. Yeah. I love that. And you, <laughs> you choked me in saying that. And, and yeah. I know for you and I, we make it a, um, I don't even want to call it a commitment. We just naturally do that. And yeah. at the end of every day that we see each other, we hug each other, tell each other we love each other. And yeah. because we don't know. Yeah. Right. You don't know. Uh, it's a short ride. It feels like yeah. a long ride sometimes, right? Yeah. But it's really a short ride. Yeah. And people need to know um, very much of what you're, you were just saying is, what would people say at your eulogy, right? That, you know, that's exactly it. And I, I'll use this moment, actually. If you haven't seen the documentary about Matthew Shepard, watch it. Because his mom has a really interesting part about the eulogy. Um, and she reads the eulogy in the in the movie. And it is just... The most insane story, but further to the thing, the his mom never said I love you when he left the house that day. And then they found him dead on a pole. So, yeah. So, same sort of thing, right? So, so important, right? Yeah. And um, I know when you talked uh, so vulnerably about suicide, mm-hmm. you know, and having those thoughts. And thank you, thank you, thank you <laughs> for still being here. Yeah, and that I have the the privilege to sit in your light and in mm. your space, and working through that. And you know, I think it's important. Um, and you know, I do a lot in mental health, but I think it's important that we sometimes just take that breath. And I just want you to talk for a moment, Tom, about what that breath really looked like for you, because mm-hmm. you could have made a final decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I think that I'd, I'll put this back to theater school um, because theater school uh, gave me the tools and the toolbox to be able to separate um, character, like your your kind of characters that you play, and the and I and I do think that that ability to be able to look and study a character and to be able to um, differentiate what is uh, the audience's expectation of the character versus the actor's expectation of the character. Um, Kind of that's sort of the way that I can put that. But um, when I took kind of, when I was in my most deepest moment where I was like, this is the day I'm going to do this, Um, I mean, I'll be honest, there wasn't anything special that happened. There wasn't anything that kind of was a big, um, epiphany moment. I think that's one of actually the biggest things that is misunderstood about, um, suicide is that there is a epiphany moment and it's a come to Jesus moment and there's a light and it lifts you out of the, that's not what it is. Um, what it is, is the tenacity of the soul that kind of, it's a, it's the tenacity of, uh, of your soul um, that will bring you out of that moment. But you just have to be in t- so in touch with that. For me, it was the fact that I got to um, go through th- theater school and be able to look at, uh, I was kind of like, oh, oh, that's a character. That's, I'm not meant to end my life. That person is like that little character is supposed to end everything because I still have so much to do. 
Like I, you know, like there's still so much I have to do without this character. You don't play one character your whole life. You, you change and you, it's just no actor is on Broadway their entire life in one show, right? They switch and they change and they study and they develop and they, um, and in this moment that I was there, you know, I was what between 13 and 15. So still in a place where I could identify, um, adult life, but also not like still be in touch with my younger self. Um, yeah, in that moment, I just was like, this character is going to die off now. That's the one that's going to go and its life be over. And I'm just going to go right into kind of my new butterfly self, right? I'm going to come out of the kind of chrysalis and the big long grass and get to the other side. And I did. So, but like I said, it's not that easy for everybody. Right. So, and I think that that kind of tenacity is what also plays into my life now where like I have always been this way that I am now unapologetic about my, the characters I play or the, you know, the, um, inner person that I am. I love that so. Tom. And, and recently we just had talked about, um, being unapologetic, right. <laughs> yeah. And having moments in your day and in your week. And I think that ties beautifully into the resiliency that you, mm-hmm. you need to get up tomorrow morning. You know, there's a reason you're here, even though you might not feel like it and you might not have the hope or the faith Mm -hmm. uh, and whatever that looks like to everyone, you know, hope and faith look very different. And if you can just find even that, the smallest little um, grit, (laughs) (laughs) right? Yeah. And and know that it's actually about you. It's not about anybody else. That's exactly it. Um. So before we end, and I've just, I could talk to you forever. About I this, know, yeah. Right? Uh, and we do this a lot, people. So, you know, it <laughs> yeah. kind of sucks that you're not with us all the time. And yeah. you get to have these conversations with mm-hmm. us. But um, I want to ask you a couple of questions before we close in. Yeah. And you can do it in a, say it in a sentence, uh-huh. respond in a sentence, or you can respond in uh, just one word. Yeah. So my first one is finish this sentence, okay? Okay. I am. Ooh. I am. Ooh. I I want to say I am a warrior. Yeah, because I am. You are a warrior. Thank you. Oh, I felt that right <laughs> out to the yeah, field, right in my yeah, heart. Yeah. yeah, that was good. Uh-huh. You felt that too. Yeah, I did. Yeah. You did. Good for you. And complete this sentence. If you really, really knew me, you would know that. Ooh, you would know that I would push you off a bridge if it if if I felt that it would better your experience as a human. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know I'm trying not to be deep, but I like I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I would like I, I you know if if and I'm I'm not saying I'd push you off to kill you. Let's say you have a jun- bungee rope on the back of you, right? But I just. I just, when people throw away experiences, it just grinds my gears because the experiences is what shapes you as a human. Uh, it's what gives you the tenacity. It's what gives you um, strength. It's what gives you hope and faith and the ability to wake up because no two days can be the same. So anyway, that's a whole other thing, but. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Thank mm-hmm. you. What is your no fail to go song that's motivational? Oh my God. 
There's so many. I know this is going to be a tough one because oh. you just love your music. You're oh. so creative. I am a music guy. Um, you know, oh God, um, my go-to motivational song. Can I look on my Spotify really quick? <laughs> you can. There's just like, um. Yeah, I, you know, there's honestly, there's so much and there's, um, so there's, okay, I'll, I'll say this. Um, it's from the Dear Evan Hansen soundtrack. I love this soundtrack. It is the best. Um, and I guess there's actually two. One is called Anybody Have a Map? And it's what the actual story is, is these two um, moms who are trying to figure out having kids, like kids in school. Um, but to me, it really, it says like, one of the lyrics is, anybody have a map? Does anybody have a way to do this? And I'm like, that's like, no, nobody has a fucking map. Make your own. So that's one of them. Um, and another one's called For Forever. And it's um, just about, it's just, um, uh, all we see is sky for forever. And it's just about how uh, this actually is about two best friends and how they are each other's person through their life. But uh, it's that quick reminder that um, the sky doesn't end. So why should you? Oh, you know, yeah. So I know it. you felt that. I saw that go into you. Yeah, as well. I just really felt that. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I love our our times when we spend together and we listen to music and oh, so much. And you, it's almost like a challenge for you to you need to listen to this song, Pamela, because it's going to really <laughs> crack you this time. And yeah. I think you just like to watch me cry. Yeah. So it, yeah. <laughs> and you do a really good job at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my next question and my my final question would be. If you could create one law everyone had to follow, what would that law be? Oh, my God. Why are you hitting me with these hard-hitting questions? I like to be the one to do that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) If there was a law that I could create that everybody had to follow, what would it be? Ooh. Um... You know, I would say that I would want everyone to complete a certain amount of volunteer hours in their life. And I, I, it's, it's so complicated. Kind of the reasoning is so complicated, but um, it's because I don't, there's so, especially in Canada, um, there's so much privilege here. And it's the, one of the most amazing things is what makes Canada so incredible to people who come to it. Um, because there's privilege and there's opportunity and there's uh, things to do and and people that will help you through your whole entire life and you will be the most successful ever. But it also has its fair share of problems. And I think especially Canada versus the rest of the world is Canada tends to mask a lot of its problems. Um, It's homeless population for one example. Um, and it tends to mask a lot of like their suicide problems mm. and it tends to, ma- I mean, we obviously we talk about this so much, but um, there's so many people that go through their life without ever having to experience that. And it, it blows my coming from England where poverty is so normal. Right. Um, and it's so now I wasn't living in poverty by any means, but it's just very prevalent and you, you can't not see it in England. So here, you need to go experience what it's, what these people go through and live like. And a lot of these people, we have fucking minus 40 winters. People die right, just from natural causes because 
that, you know, actually yesterday was at the Chinook gas station and I was talking to a guy. He's like, I don't do drugs. I don't do, he was picking through for bottles. Mm-hmm. He goes, I don't do drugs. I don't drink alcohol. I don't do any of this stuff. He's like, but I have been on the waiting list for two years for a place to live. He is like, I am trying my best to live a good life, but the system's broken. It's not working for me. And I don't want to be one of those people that's like, this system is broken, but it is. Right. So my one law would be volunteer wherever it is. Even if you volunteer for a small little town charity that maybe gets $10 of donations a year, whatever. But for as much time as you get paid for, do just as much in unpaid time. Cause that's where your, 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 um, shit comes from, right? Your morals and values. Right. So there you go. Long story short. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much, Tom Barker. I just <laughs> love you so much, and you know that. And yeah. you know, you're know you just part of our family, yeah. right? And um, Thank you. And so is your brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that <laughs> asshole. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to thank everyone for uh, joining us today to celebrate the triumphs of the brave ones. Yeah. So for me, it's the ones that step into the arena. Mm-hmm. And I want to celebrate Whoever you are out there, you know, drop a comment in if you want to be on Grit and Grace and you want to get down and dirty and talk about how you have risen above and uh, that you're standing in the arena. Know that we're standing there maybe quietly in that arena with you, but we're sending you love. So when you go out to the wor- into the world today, I hope you remember one thing, and that's love more. Love always. Eat cake. Thanks, everyone. Bye.